Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me in a bit will be Peter Salmon. He does not have a list of his favorite Hallmark Christmas movies, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, I guess. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that show <laughs> last week. Uh, hopefully, it's uh, it's an opening... I guess, uh, indication that, you know, maybe we're going to get back to something resembling a normal show, which means hopefully hearing a bit less from me and a bit more from our co-hosts. Anyway, uh, that's the hope. We'll see what happens in the new year. Still a few weeks to go. And, uh, we'll let you know what happens. Anyway. And Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans, and you can find us here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. as we talk about the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new biographical crime drama House of Gucci, which you can now see in a theater near you. Before that, we're going to look into the future, the year 2022. Kind of amazing, it's the year 2022. I feel like we don't talk about that enough. (laughs) <laughs> We're almost one quarter of the way through the 21st century. Uh, remember Y2K? I certainly do. Anyway, um, it's almost 2022. We hope that even though there's this Omicron thing going around, we hope that 2022 will be better than 2020 and 2021, at least so far as like being able to go to the movie theater and enjoy stuff. And there's a lot of stuff coming to the movie theater in the year 2022 because there's a huge backlog uh, of stuff that was in production, stuff that was delayed. Now, this week we're going to look at some of the movies coming in 2022, but these are going to be movies that are not part of any franchise. They're not a sequel. They're not a requel. They're not a legacy sequel. They're not a uh, remake. They're not uh, an extended universe, or they're trying to launch a franchise, or they're based on a video game, or whatever it is. Anyway. Pushing all that stuff out of the way, we're left with some very interesting possibilities for what might make a really good time at the theater in this coming year. So I've got 10, and uh, i got about 14 minutes to do it in. I'm not going to do the math. It's about a minute and a bit for every movie. Okay, here we go. At number 10, I have Marry Me, which the trailer for this played in front of House of Gucci, and it's... <laughs> I have a suspicion that a few years ago I thought it's like one of the most abhorrent things coming up on the movie calendar, but it's actually kind of cute. It's a J-Lo rom-com, Jennifer Lopez essentially playing herself. Um, she's going to do a concert with her fiancé, who is also a musical superstar. They're gonna, so basically going to get married in concert, and then right before the concert, she, there's a video released of him cheating on her. So, she comes out on stage... Uh, she looks out in the audience, and there's Owen Wilson, who's, like, some kid's dad, who's a big J-Lo fan, and for some strange reason, he has a sign that says, marry me, and and J-Lo says, okay, sure, so her and this average, everyday dude get married, and frivolity happens. It's an insanely campy-looking movie, but it looks kind of fun, too. I think if you're of a certain mood on Valentine's Day, marry me will, uh, scratch a certain itch. A number nine, I have the 355. I hesitate with this because it comes from Simon Kinberg, who screwed the pooch so badly with the last X-Men movie. Um, but he's been involved with like every X-Men movie since, I think, since Last Stand. But 
this is not X-Men. It's a female-driven action movie uh, that is uh, Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, Diana Kruger, and uh, Fan Bingbing, who are all these like leading super spies for their respective uh, countries who are come together on the same mission. This could be a lot of fun. This could be that that Expendables mo- uh, Expendables movie that we never got the the whole concept of doing Expendables with with female action stars. That never happened. The three five five happened. So maybe, maybe with an asterisk, this could be good. The the trailer certainly looks interesting. Anyway. Number eight, I have Elvis. This is a new film for Baz Luhrmann, and it's not every year you get a new Baz Luhrmann movie. Um, it is uh, obviously about the life of Elvis Presley. It is perhaps most famously at the moment for being the movie that Tom Hanks was making when he became patient zero for the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, he wasn't really patient zero, but he was like the kind of like the first name person who co- uh, contracted COVID-19. Still alive, thankfully. Um, but... Uh, Tom Hanks plays uh, Colonel Tom, who's Elvis's mentor and manager. Uh, an actor named Austin Butler plays Elvis. So, I mean, that's going to be big shoes to fill. Elvis is so iconic. How do you, um, how do you wear those blue suede shoes? I'm sorry, I can't believe I just did that. Um, <laughs> so. It's going to be an interesting movie to watch, certainly. Uh, the music will be great, because it's Elvis's music. Uh, what about Baz Luhrmann? Is he going to be, like, on point? Like, is, is his vision going to be, like, cohesive, as it was maybe in Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge? Or is it going to be a bit kind of scattershot, like Great Gatsby? That remains to be seen. But it's a very interesting development, nonetheless. And number seven, I have Nope which is the next Jordan Peele movie. No idea what it's about. It's, uh, it does retain Peele with uh, Academy Award winner Daniel Kaluuya, who they worked on uh, Get Out Together. That was a big break- breakthrough for both of them. And, uh, yeah, other than that, it's uh, Stephen Yin co-stars. Um, Kiki Parker co-stars. That's about all we know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a poster you can find for Nope, and it's like this circular cloud with a, a kite's tail coming out of it. And it's sort of hovering over this this town at night, and so it, I make I wonder if it's kind of like a UFO thing. Um, certainly, you know, Peel's done his take on slashers with Get Out. He's done his take on like kind of zombie movies with Us. So, you know, uh, alien invasion, body horror, maybe. The next great thing. We'll have to wait and see. And number six, I have Ambulance. It's the next Michael Bay movie. Um, and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal as a bank robber. Um, and him and his partner, Yahab Abdul-Mateen II, are sort of racing around L.A. in this ambulance as the cops are pursuing. It looks crazy. If you catch the trailer, it looks really, really crazy. It looks frantic, even. And, of course, it's part of the Jake Gyllenhaal uh, frantic in L.A. oeuvre that he perhaps started with Nightcrawler. Um, so, I mean, it looks interesting. I don't know if Bay will be on his game. I tried watching that Six Underground movie. I made it about halfway through and was profoundly confused and weirded out by it. Not great. So, um... 
maybe this will be a mulligan for for Michael Bay Ambulance. Certainly, Chris Freddick, who is the screenwriter, um, has some really interesting things in in his background, including co-creating Chuck, um, the the spy comedy that aired for for several seasons. But we'll have to see what happens. Uh, at number five, and I'm technically breaking my own rules here, but it's Salem's Lot. It's, although it's not really a remake, it's a remake because they did a TV movie version in the 1980s that was famously directed by Toby Hooper, but they've never done a big screen version of Salem's Lot, which is uh, a vampire story written by Stephen King. Um, it is interesting to note that this is coming from Gary Doberman who uh, was one of the creative forces behind the Annabelle spin-off movie series of The Conjuring. He also co-wrote It and It Chapter 2. Uh, James Wan is producing. So this is like quality, quality horror, at least in terms of the name brand. But will, you know, let me put it this way. Will this be It Chapter 1 or will it be It Chapter 2? It could go either way. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Gary Doberman did prove himself. I think that Annabelle Comes Home, the movie, the Annabelle movie he not only co-wrote but directed, that one is solid. It's not great, but it's solid. Um, it's a lot of fun. So perhaps he can get Salem's Lot right. At number four, I have The Northman, which is the next film from Robert Eggers of uh, The Witch fame. And it's kind. it kind of sounds like a Viking... Um, a Viking version of the Revenant. <laughs> a Viking has to like traipse across the cold uh, in search of revenge. Uh, and Alexander Skarsgård is in it. He plays, I think, the titular Northman. Uh, Nicole Kidman is in it too. Uh, so is Willem Dafoe and Anya Taylor Joy. So uh, Edgar's is bringing Max. Uh, his uh, people from his repertory playhouse because <laughs> Anya Taylor Joy was in The Witch. Uh, Willem Dafoe was famously robbed as best actor for The Lighthouse. So, uh, the Northman might be a chance of redemption for everyone involved. I hope so. At number three, I have Don't Worry Darling. It is the next film from Olivia Wilde, who, of course, uh, wrote and directed, co-wrote and directed, I believe, uh, the book smart, which is uh, the high school comedy about two nerdy girls trying to live it up on the last night of high school. Uh, this one sounds a bit different. Uh, the tagline is an unhappy housewife finds a dark secret. Um, and the movie is set in the 1950s. It stars Florence Pugh and Harry Styles as kind of the titular couple. Well, not the titular couple, perhaps. Uh, but like that's the main couple in the movie. So Excellent casting, to say the least. Uh, Florence Pugh, of course, has been having a couple of years from, you know, Midsummer to Lady Macbeth to, you know, basically stealing the show in the Black Widow movie. So it's going to be interesting to watch her evolve. It's going to be interesting to watch Olivia Wilde evolve um, to see what else she can do. I mean, she did comedy really, really well. Booksmart is literally that. It is Booksmart. But it's also a lot of fun, and it's really funny. It's got great performances. Olivia Wilde is clearly a talented director, and uh, famously directors who come out very strong with the first film stumble in the second, so I'm not hoping that for her. I hope I hope she does really, really well. 
And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Don't Worry Darling. At number two, I have The Black Phone, which comes from the team of uh, Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. Uh, Together they did uh, Sinister, the first Sinister movie. They also did Doctor Strange, the first Doctor Strange movie. Uh, They did not work on the sequel, or they initially worked on the sequel and then left because of creative differences. Six of one, half dozen the other, whatever. But um, this looks very, very interesting indeed. On the surface, it's like a kidnap drama. Ethan Hawke plays this sort of terrifying child kidnapper uh, who steals this boy, um, puts him in the basement of, of this house. So it's about the boy struggling to survive. Uh, being trapped alone in this basement, and then he starts getting phone calls. The trailer is very, very early. I'm just describing the trailer. He starts getting phone calls from other missing kids whom the Ethan Hawke character has killed. And meanwhile, his friend, uh, another little girl, his, his the, the boy's age, is having like these nightmarish visions of getting insights of what happened to her friend and doing a little Scooby-Doo detective work on her own. I don't think it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be very darkly serious. It looks very scary. And I personally can't wait to check it out. Um, The Black Phone. Ethan Hawke is always an interesting performer. So Scott Derrickson uh, has proven, like, even to his first film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, not a great movie, but it is a very interesting movie. It's sometimes very, very creepy. So... Seems like he had a bit of a carte blanche for this. I hope. Uh, I hope this is as strong as I think it's going to be. Which brings me to number one, which is Moonfall. It is the next disaster movie from Roland Emmerich, who is hit or miss. Sometimes he brings a White House down <laughs> or a day after tomorrow. And sometimes it's Independence Day Resurgence or like the dopey World War II movie he did in Midway, or the dopey Shakespeare conspiracy movie he did called Anonymous. This seems like in his wheelhouse. Uh, basically, the moon is a conspiracy. It's <laughs> it's not supposed to be there, or there's something wrong with the moon, and the moon attacks. Yes, the moon attacks. That's the plot of Moonfall. And Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry have to save us from the moon. Essentially, that is is the plot of Moonfall. The moon is coming to kill us. Perhaps as it always was. <laughs> the The trailer looks bonkers. It looks insane, and I can't wait to check it out. So that's what my top ten one I'm looking forward to. I mean, there's also a ton of, like, franchise stuff. Um, Scream. I'm actually looking forward to Scream. It's technically Scream 5, but they're just calling it Scream, like how Halloween 2018 was just Halloween. They're bringing Nev, Courtney, and David back. Uh, So we'll see how that turns out. Morbius, which is another one of Sony's attempt to turn, like, tertiaries (laughs) background Spider-Man characters into their own franchise. Worked with Venom. I don't know if it's going to work with Morbius the Last Vampire. It looks like insane. It looks like the worst of 90s superhero movies with all the most terrible instincts of 21st century superhero filmmaking. Like, think about Amazing Spider-Man where half the movie is about laying out future Spider-Man movies. I think, and I worry, that's essentially what Morbius is. Uh, I'm looking forward to Death of the Nile, which is the next Kenneth Branagh... Uh, Hercule Poirot 
movie. I li- I liked Murder on the Orient Express a lot. It looked beautiful. It had a great cast. Didn't break the mold. Wasn't really breaking the ground. But it was a fun movie to watch. I enjoyed it very much. Um, John Wick 4. All I'm expecting is like more crazy Keanu <laughs> stunts. I mean, Donnie Yen is a co-star in it. Clancy Brown is a co-star in it. Uh, Hayoko Sonata is a co-star in it. Boy, that's a stacked cast. Can't wait. Um, there's Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is taking on Creed 3. He's directing it himself. Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That is going to be very interesting. How do they cope with the loss of Chadwick Boseman? Um, Aquaman 2. I think it's called The Lost Kingdom. I love that first Aquaman movie. It's the Masters of the Universe movie you always wanted. Um, it's a great, it was a great standalone movie in the DC Universe. And Jason Momoa was a lot of fun as Aquaman. We're going to get Mission Impossible 7. Um, so that's going to be more Tom Cruise stunt craziness. The thing I'm looking forward to, baby, the most out of all of these franchises, though, is the Batman, the Matt Reeves adaptation with Robert Pattinson as a sort of fresh Batman, as it were. He's in year one or two of his mission, and it's uh, him facing off against the Riddler. There's also Penguin and Catwoman in it. It looks like it's Batman set in the world of Seven, so it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. Now, was House of Gucci interesting to watch? I don't know. We'll have to play the review. That's coming up next. You're listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. One more time! I don't want to hang around in someone else's scene. Fashionable people doing questionable things. anything Paula what forgive me I'm trying to teach Alessandra the importance of not touching other people's belongings I don't consider myself a particularly ethical person but I am fair but I cannot wrap my head around is people who steal just for ego or the pleasure of it, for personal satisfaction. And that was a clip from House of Gucci. It's the new film from Ridley Scott, and it stars Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Selma Hayek, Jack Houston, and Al Pacino. Now I'm being joined on the line by Peter Salmon. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing good. Just uh, up here in Ottawa. It's uh, you know we got we got snow on the ground right now, so we are better than better than Guelph right now when it comes to snow. 
Wow. Yeah. That was a that was a strange flex. Well, I'll have to, you know, work on it. <laughs> Uh, I have to wonder, Peter, I can't see you, but are you wearing Gucci right now? I am not wearing Gucci. I do not own any Gucci. <laughs> well, that makes two of us. I'm a, I'm, uh, a Vers- I'm a Versace man. I hear you. I that hear Armani you. Dior. Sorry, Gucci. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a Louis Vuitton man myself. Uh, yeah, the LV, the Cartier. Ex- yeah, yeah, I yeah, Cartier. Yeah, I can roll with Cartier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> clearly, we have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, but we are here to talk about House of Gucci, uh, the new film from Ridley Scott. And Peter, of all the potential offerings, both in theater and streaming, you wanted to check out House of Gucci. So uh, explain yourself. Oh, well, I uh, first off, I really like Ridley Scott. And I felt kind of uh, guilty that we missed out on, uh, or at least I, I, you might have reviewed it. I missed out on The Last Duel, so... Yeah, no, I missed out it, on that too, and I feel yeah, a bit guilty it's, it's myself. Yeah, it's a bit safer out, or, or at least you know, not not the new, but we don't need to get into that. I uh, I, I wanted to see something in theaters too for the listeners as well. They can watch whatever they want on streaming, and uh, so I just felt like reviewing something in the theaters just to let them know if it's worth dipping out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said, just ruthless guy, just great guy. And so was it worth? Well, it, his the works dip? are great. I don't know about him. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know his his views and such, but his works are great. <laughs> I think he's pretty liberal, but I don't know. I have I have zero knowledge on that. Okay, well, why don't we start with if it was worth the dip? Uh, oh, to House of Gucci. Uh, well, based on your one comment, you made a comment <laughs> about the accents not being great. I thought House of Gucci was. Uh, was was great. I thought it was a great film. I uh, think it has definitely some flaws. I think what the reviews have put are are, are fair, but uh, the one that bugs me is is the one Lady Gaga. I thought her accent was fine. I uh, you know I was raised in Guelph. My uh, bestie is Italian American, first gen. His mom and his grandma, you know, they speak Italian, and it sounded you know it sounded more accurate than uh, some other the other actors. So that Jared Leto's was not. Not great, but uh, <laughs> I thought, yeah. And if you actually look at the co- current comments she's getting, they're they're all good. She's already won awards for it, right? So mm. I think there was just a couple people angry for whatever reason. Um, but but what were your thoughts? Did did you think her accent was god awful? Uh, no, I don't think I don't think she is a standout amongst the awful accents. I think there's just sort of this. Uh, at least amongst the sort of five main actors in this, and it, it sometimes oscillates. Like sometimes they 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 attenuate it so it's not as uh, powerful as it is in other scenes. Um, like usually in scenes where there's like a lot of other like serious acting going on, there's a little bit less of an emphasis on the whole Italian accent. But uh, yeah, I will confess. Uh, sometimes they do go a little far into it's a me Mario territory. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's- <laughs> it, and it's it's kind of irksome but yeah like um i will confess i don't think the performances are the issue in house of gucci i think there is a lot of padding in especially the first 90 minutes i think that this could have easily been a slimmer two-hour movie with a little bit more focus oh absolutely uh, the first part i he wanted to display how they fell in love but even that's it, it's a little too long it's definitely a little too long 
I have no problem with the whole falling in love thing. I, I, I like, I think that's like maybe some of the best stuff in the film is those early scenes where he's uh, Maurizio Gucci is disowned by his father. So he um, moves in with. Uh, this, oh, well, that's fun. Yeah. With that's, that's Lady Ga- like the whole scene where he's like having fun with the guys at the car wash um, and they're playing soccer and like that's that's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, that's so which part sh- do you then think should have gotten more of a cut? I think there's a lot of stuff in the in between period between like when the father dies and he comes back into the Gucci fold, and then when things start going wrong, like that entire midsection, I feel is like hard to sort of follow. Like how it gets from a situation where she's kind of like gently pressing him to get into the family business or to get more involved in the family business to the point where the whole thing collapsed and they hate each other. Like the connective tissue between those two ends of the film is, is really, really rough. And I mean, a lot of it sort of hinges on um, the, the interfamily relations with uh, the brother, the, was stressed out too long yeah with like aldo gucci the al pacino character yeah um, they didn't especially they had some they had an extensive amount of kind of solo scenes too and i don't know if that was necessary especially with the focus <laughs> being on um lady gaga yeah there are so many sequences where like al pacino comes waffling in like basically like playing the italian version of his scent of a woman character uh you know he almost he almost walks right up to the line of going Wah! and <laughs> But yeah, a little, a little excessive, a little excessive. It's, it's a little excessive. And there are so many, I, I, and I hesitate because Jared Leto is having so much fun. He is, I have never seen him have this much fun in I, a role. And He's if just, you watch videos of, you know, the who he portrayed, uh, Paolo Gucci. Yeah. It's not too inaccurate. I think his accent is a little, um, he's the one who, uh, really, um, hyperbolizes it makes it excessive uh, a little too like you said mario right yeah but, um his physical actions and his betrayal all around was uh it just the structure they had for him i thought was great he's, he's you know he's crazy dumb but is kind <laughs> of sort of okay at elements of fashion and uh but yeah um, also i i started at the very beginning you're like oh he's stupid he's the reason you know, Gucci is, is not doing great. But then by the end, you're like, oh, this guy, I feel a little bad for him. Especially at the end, he's, he's like, just died homeless, right? So, yeah. no, I thought Jared Leto was, uh, I, I honestly think he just, he related maybe a bit to Paulo, you know? So I, th- I think it worked well. I mean, they're both characters, I guess, which, is, you know, the there's a lot of campy. Like, there, there's a lot of, like, sort of, hey, I'm if you walk out of this thinking like, boy, that if there was a character, it was Paolo Gucci. Um, like there's kind of that kind of attention to it where Jared Leto kind of feels like uh, a black hole, not, not a black hole, but it, like he, he's, he's exerting a certain gravitational force when he's on screen, all eyes turn to him because he's in this ludicrous sort of like fat suit and yeah. Uh, and he's doing he's like doing the most exaggerated like mario <laughs> luigi accent very very similar to yeah. tom cruise's character in tropic thunder 
Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I was thinking about that the whole time, um, which there, is kind of good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I his character was enjoyable. Like oh, I said, he was I enjoyable. Think, like I, think I Paolo Gucci was over the top, but you think you think a little, you think a little too much. He's absolute. Well, he's absolutely over the top. Um, and again, I I feel reticent to to like point this out because he's clearly having a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah, but we're reviewing. You know, <laughs> you know, we gotta. I like Jared Leto too. I'm glad he was having a good time. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's. It, I think there, there's kind of an anchor with a lot. Like, I think a little bit of this character goes a long way, and I mean, there, there's kind of an internal struggle with the movie. Period. Um, it's kind of set up very much to be, and I think. I don't. I haven't read any like interviews or insights from Ridley Scott that sort of uh, explains this, but it feels very much like fashion Macbeth, um, like a, that, a, a tragic tale, and yeah, where it's like the, the main focus, absolutely. Where it's like the wife pushing the husband to take more power and ends and ends up destroying everybody. Mm-hmm. So I think Ridley is Sir Ridley is very much trying to draw those comparisons that makes it sound like a very serious film. On the other hand, it's got, it's all this camp and excess and it's set in the eighties for the most well, part. Gucci, right. It's, it's luxury. <laughs> serious right. stuff happens, but it's, it's about the, it's about the money. It's about the excitement as well. Right. Um, and there's a, there's an internal struggle, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you're, are you doing like the serious tragic tale? Or are you doing like this sort of like campy over the top, like kind of like this reality. It's, it's, it's kind of like, Macbeth by E. True Hollywood Story. Yes, and I think the music kind of contributed to that issue. There was uh, oh, yeah. he he definitely is what is he eighties? He's he is definitely absolutely an eighty four year old. So <laughs> some of the music was it was the kind of music that you hear on. I feel like those songs were pretty cheap. It was very excessively paid played music. The very you know, the most basic song he could choose for, you know, the the 80s and the 90s. And they were okay, but uh, the pop songs he used also contrasted and not in a good way, very um, abrasive way with the, um, just, I don't know, the scene choice. It just, it just didn't, didn't work. It didn't, it didn't go well with the score is what I, uh, it, it did not go well. The needle the drops score. were abhorrent. Yeah, exactly. Is, is, I think the key. And, well, and it was it, what was extra even more painful about it is that every once in a while it was okay. I thought the in the disco club, I thought that was okay. But um, there were some later ones in New York when they started blasting more of the American that just didn't really fit in well with the still Gucci focused plot. Yeah, no, it's like I it's one thing when the choice is like really, really obvious, like, you know, it's, it's set in the 80s. Um, so of course you've got heart of glass and you've got Eurythmics and you've got George Michael and you've got new order. Um, it's like someone went to, I mean, nobody goes to the record store anymore, it's but like it's, a best of, of the, whatever the decade. Is. Yeah, yeah. It's like, now this is what I call eighties. It's like, he bought that mix. Now this is what I call eighties. And yeah. he, he gave it to the music supervisor. Which, yeah. It made me honestly, um, I'll, I'll be able to do a more proper, Re- a reanalysis of some of the Marvel ones because I- Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy I thought used really like oh heard that before this is just the best of the decade but you know you know in comparison to this it might look pretty pretty classy <laughs> I mean there's some unusual cuts like there's like 
you know, Fleetwood, when you think Fleetwood Mac, you don't usually think of Chains, which is what was used in like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, and also like that is phrased great song. It, to an extent in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I mean, it's not just they're playing music. Um, they're playing like music that was particularly selected by Peter Quill's mother. So there's kind of like a sentiment sentimentality to it. Um, you are listening to someone not a professional DJ who made a mixtape. Mm-hmm. This this struck me more as like Suicide Squad, where it's like, you know, they have this list of songs that they use in trailers and they use them all. And I feel like that's kind of how the music selection worked in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, definitely. Um, we're, we're talking about a, a lot of negatives. What, what were some of the positives that out to you i i sincerely like i said i thought lady gaga and adam driver did a really great job oh they're great um, especially like you said the the romance the romance was amazing um a standout for me mm-hmm. was actually their very first sex scene at work <laughs> yeah. i thought it was it was just so realistic it was you know in a lot of movies you see the first time and it's always it's beautifully so awkward and like romantic and this was it was some real stuff, and I, I really, I really enjoyed that. And I thought they did it very well. Yeah. I also thought Salma Hayek did a really great job. Oh, she was a very yes. unlovable individual, even when she didn't have any lines, like in the, um, the the Hitman Order. Her just with her face, you could tell she <laughs> wants them dead. She wants that money, and she was yeah, she was great. I'm currently watching Ugly Betty, and she uh, what she won her Emmy for, and she's <laughs> she's the same. She's evil in it, and I think Salma Hayek. <laughs> great perpetrated evil person well that was another thing that made me draw the like macbeth connection because you know in macbeth you have the three witches and in house of gucci you get one selma hayek which is probably uh just as potent as a as a psychic uh yeah no i i completely agree uh like lady gaga is she has such magnetic presence i mean you can tell why she's the pop rock god that goddess that she is like it just carries over into like even just that opening scene where she gets out of the car and she's wearing these four inch heels and she's just strutting from the parking lot yeah i would have been i would have been very okay with more just scenes in his her mother's uh construction job (laughs) she's just yeah she just marches over there adam with adam drivers having the the, you know the the hose fight with the one other worker and then he plays some soccer with them on break it's yeah it's very it's very uh heartwarming yeah, it's it's like I mean that's why it's kind of so heartbreaking. I mean, more of that should have been there because it also would display like did they make the right choice? Maybe the old Maurizio before <laughs> Patricia uh, converted him to loving that money. Maybe he uh, is I the th- lawyer him who wanted just more, you know, peace. I think more. I think a that's the abrasive yeah. life aggression. I think that's part of the issue because in the latter part of the film, she kind of not disappears but she kind of fades back into the background and becomes more about his issues um and i think that you know that does a disservice to the movie because it's set up very much like her story and then she kind of disappears at like near the tail end of her own story which i i think is part of the issue but i mean the performance wise she is great mm-hmm. and um adam driver uh i i don't think i've ever seen him so relaxed like there's like there, there's a really great scene at the beginning where you find out it's actually the 
basically the end. They play the the last scene at the beginning almost, uh, where he's just he's just kind of sitting at this cafe and he's, you know, he's. I didn't even think smoking. about that. You're right. It, that was, yeah, reflection on the first scene. Yeah, he's smoking and he, he's espresso. relaxed. Yeah, he's having an espresso and he just lets this smile appear on his face. Yeah, and it just it, it feels so naturalistic and it's like, hmm, why is he so happy? It's and because when you come into the opening of the movie, you have no idea what the context is, like what time this is, at what point in his life, and it's just you know he rides his bike away and he's riding his bike down the street and nothing's bothering him. It it, it, it there's such a zen. And it could have stayed like that. And it just feels like, yeah, it feels like one of these little European movies about, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to get on my bike and ride around because that's it's Italy and, you know, what else is going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's, you know, so when you come back around to that scene at the end, you're like, geez, what is this guy so serene about? His whole life's gone to the butt. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they display that well, too, through the one, the very first not meeting with Patricia and his father, but the one where he goes to visit just his father. Yeah. And it really shows the reason why he's not wanting to be a huge part of Gucci and how maybe his viewpoint there should have, should have stayed the same. Um, and I thought Jeremy Irons, I would have been okay if he was in it more. I thought he did a wonderful job of portraying Rodolfo. Yeah, he was good. His, his lover for money, but like his son, I think deep down, it's not the money that is his main love. It's the love, like the wife he's always talking about, right? Yeah. But they push that and their lack of getting it or being able to hold it like uh, Mauricio of Patricia. And they, they, they vent that through the luxury. Yeah, it doesn't. It plays very much in sort of like the margins, like kind of like what's driving him, what drives Aldo, you know, Gucci is like a multi multi million dollar brand now, but at the time, like when we're talking about the eighties, it was very much from the sounds of it, kind of like it was like an iconic brand, but it was like untouchably iconic. Like the whole thing with uh, at the, at the end, where all those talking about how he put the gold leaf in the shoes and couldn't do that anymore because it was so expensive. Um, it, it's very much about the idea of Gucci um, rather than, you know, kind of the, I guess the, the actual fact of running a, a modern fashion. It house. has no desire to be a huge part of consumerism and capitalism and competition yeah. because it, yeah. it's not a luxury label like the rest. It's just Gucci. Yeah. It's they're, yeah, their, their fight with that idea, the Gucci's and their, their need for the company to get more money is uh, I, I think that's done well. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's an int- I mean, it, a lot of it is interesting, sort of like the push and pull and all this, where, you know, Rodolfo is interested in taste and class. But Aldo is interested in that stuff too, but he's also like, there's a point where he's like, there's a really gr- interesting scene that I wish kind of, we kind of got more context for where Patricia goes to the, like the sort of street market where they're all, se- they're selling like the, fake gucci bags and she's on a tear and she's like look at this crap they're selling crap with your name on it and all those like yeah what are you gonna do that was that was a great great scene and they should have expanded that more i um maybe i would have been more okay with the uh the huge length of time it was if they dealt more into that and the fakes and their their fight against that right um maybe even given a a bigger glimpse yeah right it, it, it just doesn't sort of give you enough context i feel 
you know, I know it's more trying to give us more of a, a deep look, and it's not a deep look. It's just trying to give us, oh, this is something that happened to Gucci. They, you know, they, they right, had the, some stuff going on. They were they were active. It wasn't just the this fight going on. There was, you know, they had stuff. We had stuff. The point was the dysfunction, I think, in in sort of the family, and and like it's one of these weird things. Like she's right to an extent. It's like they're ripping, they're being ripped off, but like Aldo's right too. It's like, well, it does great business. It's great for the name because everyone wants a Gucci, even if they have to get a fake one. Yeah. And- well, and I also really liked, I, I believe it's Al Pacino's character, uh, Aldo Gucci, who says, you know, why, why not just let them believe it's real. Let them be happy. Right. Right. And yeah, it's I find that interesting. And I suppose it's emblematic of sort of the push pull because she's always fighting to get recognized. Patricia, I mean, is always fighting to get recognized as Patricia Gucci. Um, and a lot of people are like saying different friends, like, why are you so like, wound up in this it's like it's not your family name and it's like well no it is my family name i'm married into the family that still makes me family and you know it thinking about these things after the fact you can sort of see how she get kind of gets wound up to the point she gets that um but i don't think the movie itself makes that explicitly clear about just how invested she was and how little the actual gucci's understood how invested she was um yeah, she was always an outsider too, that, yeah. that kind of i guess they're ten- that's kind of like the main plot but you're right they don't show um enough examples of her really work like they show her working hard but they, they should have done more of that they should have shown her going to the factories where they're making it her you know dealing with some even small more of the small issues oh well like we were talking about gone more extensively into things like her hatred of the fake bags yeah um yeah, but yeah, she she did great. But you're right; it was um, it was very uh, it was really up and down. It was very, it wasn't mm. uh, paced or spaced well with the focus. It just, yeah, it, it just there, there's kind of there need there needs to there needed to be a bit more of a like a through line. It, yeah, exactly. It just you know we kind of go from they're this couple he's trying to not get involved in the family because she's trying to push it because you know she's looking for a way up too and her motivations are not i don't think ever made explicit i mean she clearly puts herself in we might not know in real life i was okay with that it never being quite clear like Um, she puts she insists she insists she insists she basically stalks him (laughs) after meeting him at this party she stalks him oh not not kind of she yeah she's she's a stalker so that made me think like okay so from the beginning was it money or was it truly love like what's is it a mixture is she having genuine like love for money and he I, i don't know it's just very yeah i think that is made sort of like very unclear and i don't know if it's made purposefully unclear like ridley scott's like why don't you make up your own mind i think the movie just wasn't terribly i mean even though it's mm-hmm. again her story i don't think the movie was terribly interested in getting inside her head it all there's a certain kind of superficiality to all of this um again i mean that that's fine the movie you want to make but then you know to to try and like delve seriously into like these business machinations and who's screwing over who he's you know ridley's sir ridley trying to have his cake (laughs) too uh to an external extent of course you get that cake metaphor in the movie as well that you know gucci is like a really great cake you there's enough there's enough for you to share yeah but uh then you taste it and then it's all you want and then you try and eat it all yourself which that's cool yeah he definitely he sprinkled in some uh 
some real metaphors like that in it, you know, some mm-hmm. some uh, symbols in the plot to represent ideas or relations to literature, like you said with Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool. I don't know. I guess it, <laughs> maybe some of it was too noticeable, so kind of your face. But yeah, it was it was hard to figure out what his his intent was. Was it more of a a film essay, a, a look at Gucci himself with the point of view, or was it yeah. trying to be more a, a biopic or you know, just I guess a genuine shot for shot look um, or, or or reinterpretation of the book that it's based on. I mean, Which if you want to really, it made clear. It, it's yeah. not. I, I don't even remember it being mentioned in the the opening or the end, or you know, really in many of the reviews. So, well, if you wanted to say rich people are screwed up, okay, we agree. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it you know, but if he's telling like a very specific story of like how this family, which yeah. You know, oh, you know, it, it, the one thing that's fun about it, if you don't know anything about the Gucci incident, right? I think you'd love this. Yeah, I didn't. I went and I was very excited the whole time because I, I had no idea who was killed. Um, my wife didn't even know someone was killed. So she, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So don't don't figure that out if you want to see it. <laughs> I think it's a little late for that if you're listening to the show. But um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I went into it knowing that Mauricio Gucci was uh, killed in a hit. Um, by his wife yeah, I like I, I i understood that going in um so you're you could be right this could you, you might be able to read this better or enjoy this better if, depending on how familiar you are with like the the story i, I don't think my knowledge of where it was going like uh, affected me because i i did find I, I did find certain like facets of this interesting yeah, we would have we would have it just would have been like for me it was even more shocking when it turned mm. out uh, who he was, who Adam Driver's character really was. Whereas mm. for you, it would be an analysis like, "Oh, that was such a great job of doing that." It'd be very interesting to uh, to look back at it. Maybe I'd notice uh, even more of his flaws. Maybe there was a sprinkle, small little hints of it you would see back in the the earlier scenes, the beginning. Right. Like I, I am not so up on fashion, and if you've ever seen pictures of my attire, you will believe that. But the the um, it's present. Like, like, I, I, there's, there's a scene where they bring Tom Ford in. Tom Ford is uh, a, a yeah. designer, wildly heralded for ushering in Gucci. I thought um, it was actually very, yeah. I learned a lot of. I knew his name. I didn't know much about him. Like, I didn't know he was from Austin. I just assumed yeah. he was from like France or Italy or somewhere. Yeah, um, that's part of the that story. Well. Yeah, that he's like this, uh, this guy who revolutionized fashion from Austin. Their look Texas. for him was a lot of fun. The interviews I, and such. But I couldn't remember his name until like they said it on screen. It's like, who is this guy supposed to be? But so there's Carl Lagerfeld think... is also in it for like a brief second. You see him petting his little, uh, his little. Well, well so is Anna, Anna Wintour and Sophia yeah, Loren. Yep, like they're Catherine Walker. <laughs> so I, I think honestly, um, even though it's not a phenomenal film, if you like fashion, there's definitely some small, uh, small hints at, mm. at the industry as a whole throughout not just gucci like yeah. um adam driver we mentioned it adam driver the jewelry gift that he gets for christmas you can just tell because of the box is cartier mm-hmm. so i just mean there is some really nice small details about the luxury there's i i highly doubt it was uh you know mr uh sir scott sir ridley scott who <laughs> dealt in depthly into that but he he got a good you know i guess uh set designer or uh Mm. You know, whatever the name is for those who pick the items placed in the set. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the movie is technically excellent. Uh, like I, I, 
I really I don't typically notice the cinematography as I'm watching, which I think is probably as it should be. But I, you know, there was definitely oh, what was the cinematographer's name? Uh, Darius uh, Wolski, um, who I think has worked with Ridley Scott a lot. I think he's one. You know what? He did the Pirates of the Caribbean. The first ones are like you could say what you want about the plots and everything, but cinematography they look great. Yeah, yeah, those movies look great. But yeah, like there's a lot of really great work in different scenes like each scene kind of has its own flavor um like the, yeah, it's the like different parts like the dance but there's club no scene. statement of it being a different you know part which right. is okay I, I don't know if i'd want that like the dance club scene has like it has this like sort of crispness um like it, i don't know if they shot this on digital cameras but it, i mean it kind of looks digital um and then there's the like there's a scene later on where Palos uh, showing his designs to Rodolfo, and it's kind of like very soft lighting. It's almost like soap opera style, um, where you know you kind of get a hint that this is like, you know, first of all you get a hint like this is like you're you're about to see some melodrama here, but you also get the the feeling like this is like Palo making like an appeal to like the family member he thinks will understand where he's coming from the other like creative person in the family. Uh, and he, he, there's this kind of soft touch to the lighting, which I, I really, really liked. So, yeah. well, and the, uh, uh, the cinematography choices, the, the film choices for the wedding were also really great. You don't see until the very end when they kiss the, uh, the Gucci side, which is pretty empty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, like you were saying, photography there's some really uh, and the editing um and there's great use of black and white too like in, in odd places like especially where the paparazzi are yeah it's um, definitely still uh even like we said a lot of flaws it's definitely still a ridley scott film you know it's it's still it's good it really it's enjoyable it's, it's eminently watchable um i wonder if i mean you don't need to see it in theaters it's not it's not like dune it's not like other ones really worthy i i feel like the last duel probably is it was more of a you should see it in theaters one, but I'm sad to say, I agree. I, it just, because there's that such, there's such a lag in the middle. It, it feels like it, it's, it's trying so hard to get to the, the next like significant part of the movie. Um, it just, yeah, you're, you're kind of sitting there in the middle, like hope, like just thinking to yourself, okay, can we get on with this? Like, yeah, there we get it. Gucci's an empire. Yeah. He's, he has, doubts about getting involved yeah she's getting more pushy and she's getting more involved in the business like where is this going mm-hmm. that's kind of a that that's kind of something that this movie is kind of always kind of just like not really great about sort of keeping your attention in that regard and like it, it's like these parts of the movie where you're like okay how much of this is left <laughs> yeah and, oh absolutely it you know there's because there's a lot of great energy in some scenes, like the scene where he's like escaping the the financial authorities in Italy, where he yeah. gets on the, the the motorbike and blazes it to Switzerland. Like you um, say, it was the middle that was really stretched out, where they're just trying to figure everything out. And there's like a really great scene in that in that, like that whole Swiss portion where like Lady Gaga's threatening the that the was woman. great. That was great. Their relationship, their uh, their hatred relationship was really well done because there's the one scene later where. You know, they have another, uh, their, their final interaction is, is very great. There is, yeah, there are so many scenes where there is such great energy. And then we kind of go on standby for 20 minutes. And 
that's <laughs> i mean that's not great pacing it it just it, it feels like it feels like we're waiting for the next burst of energy and instead of like building to something yeah the cinematography edits were the visuals of each shot were great but the when it comes to pacing the editing whoever was in charge of that no not yeah not not a remarkable job yeah i i just it, it you know come for the performances um maybe wait for vod so you can like fast forward mm-hmm. through yeah that's the thing though vod <laughs> even if it's full price i'd say it's worth it just not yeah the the gas money for the, the, the year too. <laughs> no yeah it's i mean go see it in the theater if you want but i yeah I think, well the theater is always great um, I, yeah i support it i'm I, just saying it's not like dune where it's an absolute must yeah i i don't know where it kind of falls in the ridley filmography there's certainly there are things like the counselor um or white squall which are on the 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 dark side but it i mean it's not his best it's not his worst it's very Mm -hmm. in the middle ridley scott i think i think it could have been if the i think if the script and editing had been tighter this really would have been something to write home about because the ingredients were certainly there but it it doesn't doesn't all the way work there's stuff that mm-hmm. works but it, it's not uh, a fully functioning package let's say yeah it's also just too bad i think the the lady gaga accent not being great it took way <laughs> way too much you know time she was not Twitter. the worst offender she was no, not the worst no, offender not at all oh also um it just in case anybody wants to know fun little tidbit the mm-hmm. uh father son in the house of gucci her line her she ad-libbed it so oh good, good honor for that eh? yeah yeah, not just another pretty face. So. Yeah, no, no, no. Not that I'm I ever look, thought I'm that. Looking at an IndieWire article about it, so this isn't okay. just a little hearsay <laughs> fact. <laughs> Good honor for that, and it really—you could tell she she really is a great actress. Yeah, she's um, she's a great talent. Yeah, um, and I would say Adam Driver. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. Even better performance than Marriage Story, his Oscar win. So, but is it memeable? We'll have to find that out later. <laughs> Peter, if people want to talk Gucci or whatever, uh, whatever fashion uh, interests that they have, how can people find you on the internet? Uh, on Mr. Tower Act, YouTube and Twitter. And that's it. And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And speaking of that Spotify app, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up the app, search for End Credits on CFRU, and press play. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another great edition of End Credits, I promise. And we will see you then.